Profanity Nation. Yeah, it's the new era of man for some old school fans with a new school brand. We got money on the mic with the plan in hand. And step back to his left, they go hand in hand. And to the right, we got Simster, he putting it down. It's the Profanity Nation, we running the town. Yeah, it's the Profanity Nation. Profanity Nation. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Profanity Nation podcast. We are the voice of the professional fan. Um, you might notice there's a space here. Uh, however, we'll get started. Uh, we have Money Mike, as always, with us. How you doing, Money Mike? I'm good. I'm good. As soon as we take you off the Mute. There you go. I'm good. You I'm good. <laughs> All right. So hey, I'm good. I'm good, man. Let's do this show. All right. Big ups to Pat. He has a family emergency. Stat Pat, he won't be here today, but... Uh, we're going to go ahead and knock this out anyway, though, guys. Yeah, we got lots to cover, and we actually have a great night tonight, Mike. Yeah. We've got some great guests, and we're going to jump right into it because we don't want them waiting any longer. First, we have USA Today NBA reporter Mark Medina, and we all know him because he's so associated with the Lakers. Let's just not even wait any longer. Let's bring him in. Hey, Mark, how are you? Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, good to see you. I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm stoked to join you guys and talk some shop here. Yeah, this is great. Uh, you know, the there's so much to talk about with the Lakers. They've uh, made some moves with the buyouts and uh, actually had a pretty good game the other day, and we're going to get to that really quick. Um, but as our followers and our listeners know, we always get started with Marco Nunez and his five-minute injury wrap-up. We're going to bring Marco in now. In this case, it's a little different because we have Mark taking part in that as well. So, Mark, uh, you know Marco, of course, so you guys are more of course. We go way, way back. Many, uh, many good times on the road and uh, a lot of pestering questions on my end about what uh, what all these injuries, man. So it's, it's always good to see Marco. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we now, uh, keep pestering them with those injury questions. So it hasn't stopped. It's just from a different source, I think. Yeah. Cause I'm tough, man. I need him to tell me, <laughs> you know, man, look, I'll, let's, start with, let's start with AD, uh, the one that's playing, man, whatever they did to his toe, it worked, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, that I know you said originally that they were going to like put some sort of padding or stuff on like there, a steel toe cover on it. Yeah. But he had a double, double 22 and 10. They need to keep that going. Right. Whatever. Here's the thing about sometimes when it comes to, to a fix or when you're treating an injury, an injury or an issue where they say, if it ain't broke, why fix it? And whatever's working, you got to keep doing it with the athlete. Um, so most likely what they did is that he, I'm sure he probably still had a little bit of, of soreness or achiness. It's, it's, it's common. That's what, you know, as, as a professional athlete, you kind of still kind of play through some discomfort, but I'm sure the training staff, what they did, they, they made sure that they padded the toe up and they made sure they put some kind of barrier in there in case he does get stepped on there. Cause you don't want to re-aggravate it. So whatever they did, they got to keep doing. Yeah. Yeah. They did a great job. <laughs> is there any uh, treatment or recovery in that? Or is that just uh, after game treatment or is that pretty much just, again, it's just how much pain he can take. So that's for the game. So as soon as the game's over, I'm sure they went ahead and iced it. Um, if you will take any type of oral medication, try to kind of reduce any inflammation. That's the other thing. You got to make sure that it doesn't get re-aggravated, doesn't get inflamed, stuff like that. So I'm sure he was taking some kind of medication from the physicians. If that was the case, whether it was over the counter or prescribed, I don't know. But I'm sure he was t doing something to kind of reduce some of that soreness or achiness. Um, and the other thing also is that, you know, the, the fun thing about it is that when you don't just pat up the toe just 
to where you play. I'm sure they pad it up even when you go home. Because here's the thing about it. Last thing you want is the player goes home and he he hits his toe against the side of the bed or something of that sort. And then you get a call the next day. It's like, hey, you know what, Mark? I just stubbed my toe on the bed. It's like, Ugh, you know. So you actually do treatments even 24 hours a day. You're, I mean, uh, throughout the days. It's not just for the game. So I'm sure they padded it when sent him home with it. So how long does it take for the toe nail to actually grow back? <laughs> It, 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 it takes a while for, for, the, for the, nail bit, the, nail, the nail to grow back, but the, the nail isn't the main concern. It's, it's, it's a tissue underneath it that you want to make sure you protect, especially if it was bleeding right. or anything like that. So the nail will, you know, you always have your nails kind of fall off and you're fine. It will grow back. Just give it some time. It will take some time for the nail. So until that happens, they'll most likely kind of keep it padded up throughout the whole entire time. But like you said, whatever they did work, they got to keep doing. That's right. Mark, right. feel feel free if you have a question to just go ahead and just jump right All in. All right, how about this? I'll uh, jump in right now, Marco. Hey, just to, to do some self-promotion. I, I had a piece a few days on USA Today where I talked to different outside medical doctors about LeBron James and his injury. And like, okay, they had the caveats. They're not working with LeBron directly. But generally speaking, they didn't seem too concerned with this high ankle sprain. They stressed that as long as there's no feeling of, He's being rushed back, but he'll be back to normal. How, how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's just like, it, I mean, it's not your typical ankle sprain, like what's referred to as your, as your lower ankle sprain. This It's a high ankle sprain. Um, oftentimes, it takes a little bit longer to heal than the lower one. So once he gets healthy, he will be back. Um, he shouldn't have any major issues when he returns. He may have some soreness. You know, any player that comes back from an ankle sprain is never 100%. I mean, that's just the way it is, because if you wait till he's actually, he or she's actually 100%, you're going to take a little more time. Um, even when they come back, you're still getting treatments before before the game, treatments after the game, and so during practice, you're still monitoring his practice sessions at the same time because at the end of the day, you want them for the game. A player like LeBron, I mean, I don't know how much more he's going to get out of practice except conditioning and maybe, you know, kind of fine-tune something, but you want to save him more for the game than for practice. You know, like uh, what's I, Alan Iver said, practice. We're talking about practice here. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. We, we want to ready for the game. Exactly. Correct. Okay, uh, Kuzma has a grade one calf strain. What's a grade one calf strain, and what does that mean to us? So usually at muscular strain, uh, they categorize in through categories, first, second, and third de degrees. And, and usually that's kind of the, the, this, the amount of the rupture of the tendon, so I'm sorry, of the muscle. So the muscle has a bunch of muscle fibers, and it's attached this way. And a couple of fibers will kind of you know tear up, and that's the way it works. And, and depending on how many fibers tear or, or the separation of degrees, um, that's how you categorize the, the, deg the degrees of the strain. A first degree is, is a very small, very common. Usually the timeline for a first degree strain, whether it's a hamstring or a calf, is usually anywhere between two to four weeks, but more towards the two-week mark. So he should be fine. Um, I don't know whether it's his push-off leg or not his push-off leg, so that may be something into consideration type of thing. Um, but keep in mind, just like the hamstring, the calf muscle is an explosive muscle. That's what the players use to explode off and kind of take off. So you got to be worried about that and just kind of be cautious about it as well. AD. Okay, so AD, they said seven to ten days. I still want to give him fifteen because he still scares me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so so, so the seven to ten day mark, I think from what I read is that they, once they come home, they're going to reevaluate him and they expect him back in seven to ten days. So the seven to ten day win window period is for him to start going back on the court and start conditioning, kind of getting to what's called game shape type of thing. There's one thing when you train one on one. There's another thing when you train one, you know, or one on zero with your coaches. He's got to, they got to gradually increase his load, monitor him, and then finally get, get him to, you know, have him to scrimmage five on five with the team, stop, you know, with the team type of thing before he actually kind of is released to the, you know, release the hounds type of thing or released to the game. So the seven, 10, 10, day, 10 day period is for him to gradually increase it and finally, boom, get back on the game. Is he still receiving treatment daily or is oh, it? Oh, no. 
No, he, no. Here's, the thing, here's the thing about the uh, the players in, in the NBA or any professional level. They're receiving treatments every single day, no matter what. Even if no they what. aren't, yeah. Even if they're not like so, you know, so quote unquote hurt type of thing, um, they're receiving some kind of treatment, whether it's preventative treatment type of thing. So if you have a player that has a history of, let's say, uh, ankle sprains type of thing, they're going to be receiving treatments in the training room every single day. So it's rare that an athlete does not go through the training room to get some kind of preventative measures every single day. It's gotten to the point now. Back back in the day, it was like a stigma. You know, don't go in the training room. It's like forbidden. It's a curse type of thing. But now athletes take care of their body and they see, hey, this is a benefit for me. I need to take care of myself. I need to go in there and do what I need to do. Excellent. And guys, I can add some stuff just being on some of the Lakers Zoom calls um, about LeBron and AD. Now, there is an information vacuum because it's not like they're sharing everything and anything. But LeBron and AD, they, they've been on the, the, the Lakers' latest trip. LeBron's not in a walking boot. That's obviously yep. a sign that he's made progress because the first game following his injury, he was in a walking boot. Um, we do know that Anthony Davis has been practicing. He, he was in the facility when they were practicing um in tampa for the raptors game because you know toronto's relocated there this season uh but as far as what he's doing on practice that part's not clear frank vogel the lakers coach has only said that he had done some spot shooting but we don't know to what extent he's done you know a full court of anything if at mm -hmm. all uh but he has practiced in some capacity or, or whatever yeah. that's worth so, so these next seven to ten days is where they're going to take it and kind of, uh, you know, increase his intensity, increase his load as far as his practice, and kind of, kind of gauge it and see how he how he's doing. So the goal is that by the end of the seventh day or the ten day, he should be back to what they call game shape and hopefully returns to the game. Love well, it, great. We great. love it, Marco. As usual, please let our listeners know how they can keep up with you. Yeah, by all means, if you guys have any questions regarding uh, sports injuries, please, uh, you guys can Instagram me at uh, my Instagram at uh, MarcoANunez17. And I'm also having Clubhouse. If you guys are in Clubhouse, join us tonight at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Myself and Dr. Nima Miran, former orthopedic surgeon with the Lakers, we kind of do a breakdown on all the uh, sports related injuries that happen in MLS, NBA, uh, eventually NFL, even Premier and Soccer Leagues. 9 p.m. Pacific awesome. Standard Time, the training room. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Mark, as always, pleasure to see you again. <laughs> Good seeing you, my man. Hang in there. <laughs> Thank you, Marco. All right. All right, Mark. I, I'm not going to ask for details. It looks like you guys got some stories from the road, and I think we'll just keep them there. But uh, that is awesome. You guys uh, are very friendly. We love that. Um, okay, Mark. So we, we definitely have a lot to cover in regards to the Lakers and the league, but we'd actually like to talk a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind, and get started there. Um, before we get started, I would like to announce that Mark will uh, take part in a Q&A with our clubhouse listeners after the show um, or towards the end of the show. It will be part of the show, but it will be towards the, the end of the show and we'll take about 10 minutes uh, and we'll do a Q&A with our clubhouse listeners. So Yeah, I know, um, I know they were excited about that. Let me see those applause. As, uh, do, we, do, do I can we got, uh, applause in clubhouse? We got Money Mike monitoring. Oh, yeah, yeah. They over there. Well, I'm an open book, so anyone can fire away anything. Love oh, it. Love awesome. that. All we, right. we appreciate you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started. Okay. First off, all right. You're obviously you're in the sports industry and you kind of have to be a sports fan, but but were you really like a, a passionate sports fan growing up and, and what led you to your journalist uh career here? Oh yeah, I was definitely a passionate sports fan growing up. I grew up uh like in all sports, uh, most notably the NBA. But what was different, and I can break this down here, when I first grew up on the NBA. I, I liked the NBA stars. I was a fan of Michael Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal. And then when Kobe Bryant came into the league, basically all the 
the 90s superstars. But I started liking the Magic. Then I started liking the Lakers because Shaq went over there. But quickly, I kind of developed uh, some apathy as far as who wins, who loses. I was just kind of a fan of the game, fan of the stars. It was different with other sports, you know, with with Major League Baseball. I like the Baltimore Orioles. I grew up an hour north of Baltimore. Uh, wound up liking Syracuse because that's my alma mater. Um, so I was a really serious sports fan, but it evolved where it wasn't so much me caring about the result. It was me more caring about the league and watching the games and being consumed with the storyline. So uh, this, you know, passion career kind of uh, became organic because not only was I watching the games to see what would happen, but I was really in tune with how a broadcast was set up. I loved reading articles about the game and reading books. And so once I quickly realized I, I'm not good at basketball, I have no future in it, <laughs> I, I set out, hey, I want to pursue this as a career. I started writing for my student newspaper, uh, did that in high school, You know, got uh, some freelance work for my hometown paper at the York Daily Record in York, Pennsylvania. And then one thing led to another, went to a good uh, journalism school in Syracuse. They had great student media, uh, did in summer internships every year, uh, you know, first starting out with Inside Lacrosse Magazine. Syracuse is one of those lacrosse hotbeds, doing some things with the, the Washington Times and the Syracuse Post-Standard, the Richmond Times-Dispatch. So I was getting, you know, real hands-on experience where you're covering events, you're writing games, you're getting edited, you're getting feedback. And then with all those experiences, uh, by the time I graduated, I sent out 100 applications all over the country. The LA Times had an internship program available. And so I took that, uh, moved out here, and it evolved where the first six months, you're kind of doing entry-level type responsibilities at different sections of the paper. Six months after that, I landed in sports being, you know, that jack-of-all-trades guy of being the guy that helps the practices, uh, shoots a video with all sports. And uh, we did that for about eight months. There's a round of layoffs. I, I was kind of, uh, you know, last one in, first one out. I'm young, inexperienced, but they quickly rehired me back within a few weeks to run their Lakers blog because uh, I don't know if Laker fans, they should know them. Andy and Brian Kamenitsky, they were covering the Lakers uh, for the Lakers blog at the LA Times. They went to ESPN LA because that just launched. So they hired me uh, to replace that position. So I did that in the middle of the 2009-10 season uh, when the Lakers won the championship. Did that for two years. Then did five years as a Lakers beat writer with the LA Daily News and then went up to the Bay to cover the Warriors for two years for Bay Area News Group. And now in the last year and a half, I've uh, done a national role covering the league uh, with USA Today and being based in LA. So it's been a crazy journey, but everything connects uh, to another. So it's, it's been fun to, to see how how it all has related. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to ask you like this. So my brother-in-law took me to a NASCAR uh, race one time over in Fontana, and I knew nothing about NASCAR. But Jimmy Johnson was the one that won the race, and I immediately became a Jimmy Johnson fan. I didn't oh, nice. even know that he had won three NASCAR <laughs> Cups before, before, but I was a Jimmy Johnson fan because he won that race. So is that, are you a Laker fan because the first year you decided to cover the Lakers, they won the championship? No, I mean, I, honestly, my NBA fandom, specifically for the NBA, went away by the time I was in middle school because uh, um, after the lockout in 99, I – became somewhat apathetic of who was going to win the title. So I just followed the league, followed the stars. But, you know, on top of that, your fandom uh, quickly goes away once you get into the field um, because 
you know, you're, you're seeing the sausage being made. And so my, you know, my concerns when I go to a game is not, oh, did the Lakers win or did the Warriors win? It is, okay, I got to the arena on time. I made pregame interviews. I have enough to write some stories. I'm beating deadline when the game ends. Uh, I can get to the locker room and get interviews. Like, you're just kind of in a different frame of mind. Now, I will say that there are people in, in the business that I'm in that, you know, some of them keep their enthusiasm for the game and the league and the storylines, and some – you know, make it feel like, hey, it's it's a, another job. Um, I still have the enthusiasm for the league and all the storylines, but, uh, you know, to pardon my French, I, I could give a you-know-what uh, as far as who wins, loses. Uh, but I will say that I am fortunate that I have covered the Lakers and I am fortunate that I've covered the Warriors because in my line of work, you want people that care about what you're writing. And obviously, uh, people care about the Lakers, people care about the Warriors. It's a huge fan base whether they win or lose. Um, so that part's great. But, you know, as far as who wins the title, I'm just trying to get stories and, and move on to the next one. All right. So I have a follow-up question. So you love the Laker fans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. And some Laker fans won't like this. Some Warrior fans won't like this. But both fan bases have gotten this reputation that they're spoiled, they're entitled, they're kind of on this bandwagon. Uh, let's make it clear. There are some of those like that, but I think the vast majority of Laker fans and Warrior fans have been with the franchises, uh, both when they're winning championships and when they've had disastrous years, and they really know the intricacies. It's not just about them rooting for the superstars. They know the role players. They appreciate the process, and I think that's one thing that's underrated about both fan bases, like where there's a stereotype that a Laker game is always just the Hollywood crowd the Warriors, now it's just the tech crowd. But you have to keep in mind that the Lakers built so much equity over the years. It's part of the LA fabric. People from all over the city, regardless of your background, rich, poor, whatever race, ethnicity you are, they all love the Lakers. With the Warriors, they used to be terrible for a while. And, you know, fans still stuck with them. And then when they won the championship, sure, maybe uh, it attracted some Silicon Valley types and thought, hey, it's a good networking event. But their true identity still lies in Oakland. And, and so that's one thing that I really appreciate about both fan bases, very passionate and both very, very educated. And, and for, you know, my position, that makes you feel like, hey, you got to be on your P's and Q's because there's such a crowded marketplace for people covering that team. So how do you be relevant? Uh, and, and the answer is put out quality content because if not, uh, you'll become irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Quickly, too. Uh, yeah. I have a question for you. What What are some of the differences? I mean, keeping up with one team in this league is a full-time job. When you go to keeping up with the league and all the teams, what, <laughs> how, do, how does that, how do you transition to that? How do you keep up with all that? Um, you know, we, we, we try to make it to the Sparks media events. We're, we're credentialed there and, and getting to that and keeping up with that one team, and that's the Sparks. All the team. How, how do you accomplish that in an efficient manner? And I mean, you can't watch all the games. So yeah. How do you? How does that happen? How? Do, what is a Mark Medina day with with getting that info? Yeah. Well, I mean, on top of that, this whole past year and a half has been unprecedented because of the season shutdown and then the season being resumed in the bubble. But I think during normal times, what the difference was, I think on one hand, things can be a little bit easier that you're not traveling to every single game like I did when I was covering the Lakers and the Warriors, but you also have to be accountable for a lot more things. Maybe you don't have to worry as much about the guys at the end of the bench, but you have to be accountable for any sort of breaking news story. Uh, you're always trying to 
you know, dig into your relationships to set up access for certain feature stories with certain teams. And then sometimes you're on the whims of if there's a huge development with a certain team uh, that, hey, they want you to go there for a few days. And so uh, I think when you consider all those factors, I don't want to say one's easier than the other, uh, but the only true difference is that unlike when you're on the beat, you don't have to go to every game. Uh, you don't have to travel as much. So maybe there's a little bit more of a comfort level there. But I think on the national level, there is also less predict predictability. You can't necessarily map out the entire NBA schedule and know in advance, hey, on this day, I'm going to be at this game covering this. Maybe I can work ahead on certain features. You can do that from a league standpoint, but you're all, your bandwidth is a lot wider because you're looking at the scope of the league itself. Uh, so really busy regardless. And then when you factor in what's happened this last year with the season shutdown, you know, my itinerary was when the season was shutting down, you're trying to get in touch with players, coaches, do some stories, being in touch with the league with where they're going from here and the players union as far as restarting the season. Then I was in the bubble from July 12th to September 9th consecutive and uh, not exaggerating. Every day was anywhere between 14 to 16 hour workdays. Um, and so that was a lot. And then when it got out of the bubble, covered the playoffs, and there really wasn't much uh, lag time because once the season ended, uh, you know, there's a lot going on with different player initiatives regarding the election, uh, talks that the league and the players union were having about what the following season was going to look like. Then all of a sudden you have the NBA draft, free agency, and the beginning of training camp. So what the season's entailed for me, it's a little bit more of watching games on TV um, and hopping on Zooms, doing things over the phone. And it's uh, I haven't really covered a lot of games per se unless – it's a specific, uh, you know, landmark like, hey, James Harden's first game with the Nets, sure. James Harden's first game against Houston, Kevin Durant going back to the Bay Area. Uh, it's been more of, you know, just how the league has handled the safety protocols for good and for better and for worse, different feature in-depth stories and different columns on whatever's going on with the league. So it, it's been really busy, but, you know, especially during the times we're in, uh, I'll, I'll definitely take this because it beats the alternative. So I know you were excited to be. Well, tell us about that process uh, about like the bubble. Like they, they probably said, "Hey, we're gonna have a certain amount of reporters and these people here." Do you have, did you have to like submit a request, or did they just pick out people random? Can you give us any insight on uh, how one person was chosen above another one? Yeah, I, I mean, like you know, how did they? <laughs> who? How did so and so get in, and so and so didn't? You know. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't speak for how the NBA decided, you know, specific credentials on an individual basis. But I know in theory that the NBA wanted to have a small group in the bubble uh, to people that, you know, covered the league from a national standpoint or maybe covered a specific team at length. And then it came down to which, uh, you know, publications were willing to pay for the resources. I mean, you're talking about, for me, I was there for almost two months in a row. And then my colleague, Jeff Zilgit for another month and a half. And so that's a, that's a pretty steep financial commitment. And then also just the comfort level of specific writers. Now for my case, you know, I, I thank my lucky stars that I work with USA Today. They're, they're a great place to work for. And they never put any pressure on me to sign up for the bubble. But frankly, I was willing to do it because I was really optimistic that because of how comprehensive the NBA safety protocols were that they could pull this off. I mean, I was, Jeff and I were forwarding the, that 158 page document, I believe, to different health experts around the country. 
And they're looking at it and they said, you know what, this is even more comprehensive than anything we've seen from the federal and state government level as far as how to handle this pandemic. Now, that's a huge indictment on how the government's handled it. There's also <laughs> a lot of praise on how uh, Thoreau, the MBA, had thought this through. And so with that, I was there's no such thing as a risk free option. And, you know, people in the MBA, when they're mulling over how to pull this off, they're saying this is this is the le this is the least of the worst options. Um, but I thought all things considered, I'd be okay. They'd pull, they'd be able to pull it off and look and behold, there were zero positive cases among players, uh, coaches, team staff, and media members through that three month process in the bubble. So mission accomplished. Oh, they set the precedents for all leagues and uh, the other leagues didn't necessarily follow as we yeah. know, we saw the debacles in the other leagues, but uh, yeah, no, the NBA uh, set precedents and they did an outstanding job from our view outside the bubble. Um, and it's great to hear from, from your view inside the bubble that they did as well. And they set precedents all, all the way. Like they shut everything down first and then they resumed the, se the season in the most successful way. Cause we saw NFL, you know, you know, going on. We saw what even what happened with college, the everything. baseball, and you know, you know, Turner. It, it just was that, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, NBA did it the right way, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and I'm real. I feel really fortunate that I was able to be a part of that group because look, it, it was challenging, but also gave me a window into what the everyone that was participating was going through. So I had a lot of respect for the fact that they were able to to do this on a day-to-day -day basis and get through all the mental challenges with being away from family and friends for an extended period of time and really not having much else of an outlet. I mean, I know a lot was made of, oh, you know, they're, they're all in nice hotels and are, there's all these things to do as far as fishing. And, but frankly, not a lot of people really had time to do that. And when they did, you probably count the number of times they did that on the hands of your fingers because the teams are practicing every other day. They're playing games every other day. And so I think in some respects, because that was the only thing and there was no travel, that contributed to a lot of great performances. And also you had no fans where, you know, maybe that helps guys overcome, you know, the pressure of facing a lot of zany fans yelling at you. But it also worked the other way where, you know, you felt the walls caving in that you weren't able to have a mental release with being around friends and family. And you felt kind of trapped there and without the crowd kind of just giving you adrenaline. So all those challenges were real. And I'm glad I was there to be able to, to give perspective on that and also tell a lot of important stories because it wasn't just about the competition, which I thought was really good, but you had uh, some of the social justice initiatives that the players and, and, the, and the union and the league were a part of and them using that megaphone to speak out on you know, a lot of heavy stuff. Um, and not to mention it's just really how the safety of protocol. So yeah, I was, I was part of history and it was, uh, exactly. that's, that's kind of what you live for. I mean, I don't, I didn't want it to happen obviously cause it was a pandemic and I certainly don't want to repeat it again, but given the hands that you were dealt, I, I thank my lucky stars. I was able to be there up close and, and tell the stories because I think that if, if you're just relying on watching TV and doing through zoom, you don't have the same sort of perspective and appreciation for all the kind of the nuances day to day. And let me just tell you this too, if you, if you haven't heard it, hopefully you have, but you know, you're going there and I understand it's work and, and yeah, maybe it's an opportunity to report on history, but your sacrifice 
made a, a big difference for everybody out here who needed something, needed these stories, needed to read, needed to watch the game. You got everybody who took part in that bubble, whether it was from reporters to uh, league officials to players, all of everybody made that possible. And uh, the world really needed that at the time. So uh, we thank you because like you said, away from your family for that long, uh, we thank everybody that took part because it made a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we were like, I was itching just to be a virtual fan just so I could feel like I was a part exactly. of, of the experience. And, you know, so, so yeah, we, we, we commend you, everybody over there for what they did. And a lot of people, one, I guess one last question on this, yep. a lot, a lot of people were saying that, because of the bubble, um, you know, that the Lakers championship is, should be an asterisk because of all the certain factors and stuff. But I uh, I feel that it probably was one of the most difficult championships for a player to win because of no fans, because of being constricted. Because, you know, these guys are millionaires. They're, they're used to be able to go and do whatever they want to do as long as they, they're where they're supposed to be for practice and, you know, and, and, and games, but they weren't able to do that. So I think it took probably, and you could probably tell uh, from a couple of people that took a little psychological uh, toll. So I think this is probably one of the most difficult championships that ever was won by the Lakers. I completely agree. I, I thought before the bubble started and certainly thought after the bubble ended that whoever won the championship doesn't deserve an asterisk. They deserve an explanation point. Because okay. it was so unique, the challenges they, that they went through. And people can argue, oh, well, you know, they were able to recharge their batteries because the season was stopped and they didn't have to travel and they didn't have to face a hostile road crowd. But you know what? I think the challenges vastly outweighed some of the positive developments uh, where you're away from family. You don't have that healthy life work balance to help keep things in perspective after tough games. Um, and just the state of the world. I mean, I, I think people have to keep in mind, yes, uh, these players make a lot of money. They, they, they have a job that is really nice. Uh, they're not digging ditches, but they are also dealing with real problems too. Uh, they're worrying about their family's well-being and being away for such an extended period of time. They're worried about close ones and whether they'll get the virus. And they're also worried about just the state of the country with you know uh, a lot more attention uh, finally being uh, you know shown on the systemic racism that's been going on uh, for quite a while now, and so there's a lot of heavy things that weighed on these guys' minds, and it was very challenging to navigate all those things. And every to a man, every person had their good days, every person had their bad days. It was a matter of just how do you navigate that tight rope, not just one day, but we're up to three months in a row. It's one thing, you know, just to use an analogy of a specific game to play, hey, 48 minutes one night, but how about doing that for consecutive nights over and over and over again? That I think was the challenge of how do you replicate and keep that same level of engagement and energy without just feeling burned out. And it, it was certainly easier said than done. Now, the, the part that you guys made as far as your gratitude, look, I'm really humbled and appreciative you say that, but I, I do try to keep the larger perspective that as challenging as what I went through was the end of the day, I'm healthy, I'm not unemployed. And, you know, for those that are employed, you know, it's, it's much difference, much different to what I do versus someone that's digging ditches or doing something that's manual labor intensive. But, you know, I, I would say that any thought that, Oh, you're in the bubble 
at this nice resort and you're watching basketball. Like that's not what it was at all. It was you're pulling 14, 16 hour workdays and then you're waking up and doing it again and again and again until two months pass. And then you leave the bubble for a few days, you recharge for a few days and then you get right back into it and just work remotely. So, um, you know, very, very challenging, but you know, I keep, keep it in perspective. And I think even during normal times, I've always tried to keep in perspective. It's an unconventional job, unconventional lifestyle, but what I do helps in a very small degree of, you know, people view the NBA as a source of entertainment. Some people have their favorite teams and players that they want to watch. And it's a nice distraction for people for whatever problems they face every day. Or on the positive end, it's just a nice hobby. And uh, I'm happy and honored to be able to try to contribute in that way, no matter how small. Well, it's exactly that release that you were talking about in the bubble. Nobody had the opportunity to have. You guys gave that to us. So we appreciate it. Now, uh, we're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, uh, we're going to go ahead and ask Mark if he's ever stumbled upon a story that he couldn't release or was <laughs> pressured not to release. And he's going to go ahead and release it. No, we don't know if you are, but we're going <laughs> to ask you right back. So stick with us. This is the Profanity Nation, voice of the professional fan. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, you got to check out the Pure Life Alternative Wellness Center. It's a family owned and operated pre-ICO, Prop D compliant and recreational collective serving Chatsworth, the San Fernando Valley and the surrounding Los Angeles areas. They offer discounts for all our veterans and seniors 55 plus, as well as first-time patient and referral discounts. You can order online at purelifesfv.org. That's purelifesfv.org. Hey, we are back. Profanity Nation podcast. We are here with Mark Medina. We are here with Money Mike. Jeff Simsta, Stat Pat cannot be with us today, but he is here in spirit and he is here watching the show somewhere, I'm sure. So hi, Pat. Thank you very much. Um, okay. So uh, before we left, we went with a teaser I, and I'm actually just really curious. You don't have to tell us a story, but have you ever stumbled across or has anyone brought to your attention a story that you just couldn't release? You know, surprisingly, no. Now, there's uh, certainly a line that you draw uh, for me where, you know, I'm not TMZ. I'm not writing about people's personal lives or anything like that. So I think in some respects, uh, that gray area that maybe some journalists encounter, it hasn't really been there for me. It's pretty clear cut that, uh, you know, there's certain things that you don't get into. But that being said, you know, maybe I've never like held a story that someone told me and it was just, it felt too hot to publish. But I would say, you know, there's certain times that you hear details about, you know, an injury or a free agency decision. And, you know, you have to go through your checks and balances and making sure that you confirm it before publishing. But there was never, there was never a feeling that I reported a story and I was pressured to withhold this specific information because again, you know, I'm covering sports, I'm writing about the games and, you know, the business of basketball uh, and frankly, uh, not really getting into people's personal lives. And there's a lot of times I don't really know their personal lives anyway, because, you know, my prism through the players, coaches and GMs, it's it's a lot of it just a practices, games in the locker room. Um, so it's it's usually not much more than that. All right, so one, one last question before we get into what's going on in, in the NBA. I'm, I, this might be a little crazy. Have you tried to beat uh, beat Roach 
you know, did we try to make a story before Rose did? <laughs> like, because obviously, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure really, like, really what the process is, but I, I would assume that you would hear something, but you have to get some form of confirmation, and he's like, I gotta get out before him. What is that exactly? <laughs> Do you? That's relatively new. I mean, that's social media new, but we, what is all that? Yeah, that dynamic, and how does Woj and Shams, how does Woj like? Yeah, like I wouldn't you know because I'm competitive, like. Don't you want to be first? I'm just, I'm just sorry. You don't How have is to, that? Phil said, Mark. You don't have to answer about the college. Oh, I, I can answer. I mean, look, okay. you don't, you don't know every person's, you know, other competitors' sources and what their kind of routine is. Uh, but I will say, I mean, I have nothing but respect for Woj. He is great at what he does. He, he gets a lot of scoops. Now, to be clear, no one's opposed to breaking a story. Like, if you got a scoop, you report it. But I've, I think for better and for worse, I've never mentally thought, oh, I'm trying to get something out before Woj or anyone else. Uh, and part of that has to do with just the responsibilities that you have. I mean, when I was covering the Lakers and the Warriors, yes, some of your responsibilities involved breaking news and trying to be on top of the transactions that go on. But also for me, you know, I was covering games, I'm doing features, I'm, you know, now doing columns. So, that's not the only thing that I'm worried about um, per se. So my concern has been more of being able to be multifaceted and have a sort of place in the marketplace where you know, hey, you have a presence, you're able to do certain stories well, a lot of them that go in depth. Um, but yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for Woj and a lot of other uh, newsbreakers in our field because it, it takes a lot of work and any idea that oh that things are just handed to them no one no source just blindly calls a reporter and says oh hey like here's the scoop uh it often involves the reporter having to make a lot of calls making a lot of text messages and it, it involves a lot of relationship building where you know you can't just talk to sources when free agency is about to happen. It's a year long relationship of just being able to check in and knowing that you probably like 90% of the times that you're talking about things, it's not being published. It's just a matter of just kind of feeling in the loop and being prepared for when, you know, that news might break and when it does being in a position to either break the story or confirm it. So a, a lot of good people in our field that do a lot of good work. Awesome. So yesterday there was a game, you know, it was it was Lakers and Nets, and it was quote unquote. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, that it, was, it was quote unquote like the I guess championship finals preview, and Lakers blew them out. So does that mean that we're going to win the championship? <laughs> <laughs> I I hate to burst the bubble, but I don't think yesterday's game meant anything. And that I was going to say that even if the Nets won, I mean the reality is a right. lot of the star players on both sides they were hurt. You know, the Lakers don't have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, then they wind up finding out that Kyle Kuzma is out and Wesley Matthews. Uh, on the other side of the coin, you know, the, the Nets didn't have James Harden. Then all of a sudden Kyrie Irving gets ejected. But I think, you know, the big picture takeaways here is that, you know, the Brooklyn Nets are really talented, but it's not just about talent. You have to be on your P's and Q's and be just accountable for if a star player's hurt or something happens, that there's reinforcements. And so I think the Lakers showed yesterday that they can rally and hold the fort down. But, you know, honestly, 
there's been a lot of games that they've struggled without LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So I think it goes without saying when you're looking at their championship fortunes, both of those teams and everyone in the field, it goes down to which one's healthiest. And then I think the factors after that is which star players can be the most consistent after that, which role players can be most dependable uh, after that, which coaches can make the best adjustments and make the best use of the rotation. And maybe throw home court in there at some point because, uh, you know, there are going to be some fans in the stands, but it's always about health first when it comes to the playoffs. You, you brought up a point. You brought up coaching. Um, I'm big on coaching. We have a first-year coach. Don't get me wrong. Steve Nash is Steve Nash, but he's a first-year coach uh, with quite the squad over there. Um, I think that that actually means something. I think that that actually gives – Vogel and edge if they do if 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 they do meet um am i overestimating that let me add the second part to that question before you answer it i feel any team that had d'antonio on the coaching staff they're not gonna win <laughs> why do you say that well you know i, I d'antonio to me is not a playoff coach you know he he's a great regular season coach but he doesn't really make adjustments so when you have d'antonio as your assistant coach and steve nash as the Head coach, I I don't think that they'll be able to make the adjustments, even with the talent on on, on the court. What, well, what you- there, well, there's there's some layers to this. Number one, sure, uh, Frank Vogel's experience uh, can play a factor, but I think the thing that you should give credit both to Frank Vogel and to Steve Nash is they know how to manage personalities with their star players and also keep their role players engaged and put them in a position to succeed. Now, the point that you made about D'Antoni not being a playoff coach. Um, look, I mean, the, the, the track record speaks for itself. I think specifically with Mike, you do have to keep in mind there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. You look at the Suns, a lot of, you know, they had some injuries at the wrong time. They had some, some suspensions at the wrong time. You know, in the Rockets, they had some bad hamstring injuries with Chris Paul at the wrong time. Uh, but I will say one of the points that you're making kind of captures why the Warriors always felt optimistic about facing the Rockets that, you know, they took them very seriously. They respected their opponent, but they always had a feeling that um, by riding the isolation play for James Harden, maybe that is the best play to make because of what's around them and, and the roster makeup. But given what the Warriors have, they always felt like their philosophy was always going to trump because they have the ball movement. Uh, They have, you know, the depth. They have, you know, obviously the star talent. And as much as health may have played a factor in that seven-game series, you know, Chris Paul having the hamstring injury, the Warriors countering well. They had Andre Guadalla out after game five. Uh, The Warriors definitely feel that they survived that seven-game series partly because they had different, uh, different options. At the beginning of the series, Uh, there was a real rites of passage where at the beginning they were really relying on Kevin Durant and he was delivering. He was scoring at a high volume and an efficient rate at a time when Steph Curry and Clay Thompson just weren't hitting shots. But then it kind of swung the other way where those guys still weren't making plays. Kevin was still firing a lot of shots, but now all of a sudden they aren't going in. But they were able to make those adjustments in time to really rally in a game seven performance uh, where they're down by double digits at halftime. And yes, it took the Rockets missing 27 consecutive threes, but it also took the Warriors to 
not fold, not lose their composure, make some defensive plays, and also hit shots when they need to the most. And so I think that their feeling is, you know, they had that right philosophy. But if I'm looking at all the factors, there's a lot of kind of extra variables that go into play that suggest that maybe that narrative that D'Antoni's not a proven playoff coach is a little too simplistic. Okay. All right. So let me defend my <laughs> defend it though. Go that, ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Cause look, I'm just, I'm just a basketball fan. And you know, after you miss 10 shots in a row, you know, um, you, you have to try something different that this is just me speaking as a fan. I'm, I'm not, I've never been a coach at a professional level, anything like that, but I'm just saying, look, 10 missed 10 shots, 11 shots. Like this is the last game. Like we have to do something different. You know, and then when you see, like, in the bubble, you witness, you know, Dwight Howard <laughs> didn't play and JaVale McGee didn't play because they made adjustments to, you know, on that second game or that third game. They said, you know what, we're not going to use big men in, in, in to win the series. We don't, it's, they're not necessary for that. So when you see one coach make adjustments and it worked, and another coach that just allowed 27 shots to be missed, like, yeah. at the time, you know, you two points helps also, you know. You, yeah. don't, you don't have to say three. I'm getting, I'm just speaking that from a fan perspective. And D'Antonio, D'Antonio led that. I do agree with you on the specific criticism that in game seven, there has to come to a point where maybe your philosophy adheres to the math of you know, three points is more than two, and the law of average even that evens out. And you want to convey confidence to your players that. Hey, if you miss a few shots, you're certainly not going to yank them. But there has to be a line drawn at some point. You know what? Let's get the easier shot first, build a rhythm. And that kind of ties into Steve Kerr's philosophy that, you know, he still liked mid-range shots because they thought they were quality shots as long as they came off a of ball movement. He took a lot of three. He had his team took a lot of threes because they had Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson on the roster and also a handful of players, Andre Wadala, Kevin Durant, that could hit the occasional outside shot. So I I adhere more to that warrior's philosophy. But I think, you know, the, the larger point that I was trying to make is that there are a lot of factors that explain why some of D'Antoni's teams with the Suns and the Rockets fell through. And specifically last year, yes, the Lakers were great at matching what the Rockets had as far as the small ball lineups. But I am in the minority here and I'll take ownership of it. I do understand why Daryl Morey and the Rockets made the move that they made with deciding to trade Chris Paul to get Russell Westbrook, even if it came at the expense of draft picks and at the expense of then seeing Chris Paul do his thing with the Thunder. And here's why. Number one, at the time, Chris Paul was having a track record of getting hurt. So I think at that point, the feeling was, you know what, his body is continuing to break down and he's not going to be able to stay healthy. And now, obviously, Chris has proven otherwise, but that was in the specific moment what they what he had shown in the last few years. But number two, beyond the fact that, hey, Harden and, uh, and CP weren't getting along, I thought the style of play of the contrast of Harden's plotting ISO-heavy style versus Westbrook's fast break style could give the two teams two different looks and keep teams off balance. And before Westbrook got hurt, um, before the playoffs, that that actually worked. And then the other thing is I also understand why Daryl Morey decided to double down even more on small ball in trading Clint Capella and getting Robert Covington. And here's why. 
I can attest to this because I covered the Warriors in those playoff series. Draymond Green and the rest of the Warriors front court, they absolutely owned Clint Capel in the playoffs. He offered no rim protection there. And so I think the thinking was, look, we have a center, but he's not going to stand a fighter's chance against the elite bigs and Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic. So why even try to fight a game that we're going to lose at? Let's try to win in a more unconventional way. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, talent trumps all. LeBron and AD are great. And, you know, Westbrook was having an injury uh, that he couldn't quite get over. And there's that. Uh, but I do understand the, the philosophical debates about the Rockets and Mike's system. I think that with the Rockets, he had made adjustments because compared to the Suns, he used to be all about ball fights energy, ball movement. And here he changed his style into high so heavy because it suited Harden. And he's obviously the moneymaker and, and the best player on the team. But if I had to choose what style is the best, I think it still is ball movement, ball movement, ball movement. And you can't ignore the three-point shot. The great teams recently have won championships when they've been a good three-point shooting team. But you also ha- have to have other options, plan B, C, D, and E in a playoff series because it's inevitable that teams are able to clamp down and make things that you're able to do really well in the regular season a lot more difficult to pull off in a tough playoff series. So let me – well, let's ask, okay, obviously me, I, I think I'm in the majority. <laughs> we, we, see the, we see the Lakers and, and the Nets and, you know, battling off for the championship, but – let me ask you about the Jazz. I mean, they're they're forty and thirteen. You well, know, well, I'd, I'd like to let, let me let me get on that. I'll interrupt for a second, money. I'm going to name uh, some teams really quick. You know the the breakdowns, but I'm going to name some teams, and they're not exactly where we thought they would be. Denver Nuggets and Lakers, fourth and fifth in the West. As he's saying, yeah. Utah Jazz and Phoenix Suns, number one and two. You don't hear a lot of people talking about them as a threat. Um, yeah, why do you think the I mean, I'm ignoring them also, but why do you think, you know, the majority of the NBA fans are ignoring the Jazz? You know, it seems like only the Jazz fans are, only, are the only ones paying attention to them. And they're happy to decide that. Why? I mean, they're 40 and 13. They have a good team. Donovan Mitchell, um, um, Quinn Snyder, Quinn, Quinn Clark, great coach. They have Gobert, great. you know, uh, potential sixth man of the year. Why do you think everybody's ignoring the Jazz? Well, some of it has to do with the small market. Some of it has to do with that, even though they have all-stars in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they don't have that superstar kind of player like a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis or a Kawhi Leonard. Uh, And I think specifically in the Lakers, there is this feeling in the league that if LeBron James and Anthony Davis come back from their injuries uh, and, you know, there's no major debilitating things that are holding them back, where they end up in the standings, it doesn't really matter because they're that talented, number one. And number two, home court advantage, while it might be a thing because they're now going to be more fans allowed into arenas uh, now that people are vaccinated, it's still not the same as it was in a normal season. Um, but yeah, the Jazz are the real deal. They have all-star talent. They got depth. They got great coaching. They're in the top five offensively and defensively. Um, But when I say I have more optimism about the Lakers winning the title, uh, it's not necessarily a knock on the Jazz. It's more that 
LeBron and AD are just really, really good. And I think that they're going to be fine with their injuries, partly because the Lakers have been so patient with the rehab process and not rushing them back because they're keeping that big picture in mind. Okay, well, let's go over to the East. Do you think the 76ers, they have the same record, 36 and 17? You think the 76ers will be able to take over uh, the Nets and make it to the finals? If I had a guess, I think that the Nets are going to be the team that win the finals. But look, there's a recipe where they're vulnerable. You break it down to two areas. Defensively, they're not good. I don't think they're ever expected to be elite, but the hope is that they're at least average enough that what their offensive brilliance is going to vastly make up for it. But in the playoffs, as you guys know, the game slows down, teams make adjustments, maybe one of the star players gets hurt or has an off performance, and you need to have that plan B, C, D, and E, right? Um, And then also – the three all-stars and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, James Harden, you know how many games they've actually played together this season? It's been seven. You can count wow. that on two fingers. And as much as James Harden, frankly, has exceeded my expectation, like I thought there would be a lot of tension with him and Kyrie, regardless of what they said, because they're just so used to having the ball in their hands. And both players, frankly, have had a track record of, you know, <laughs> just getting in their own way sometimes and butting heads with other teammates. They've uh, James Harden has checked that box off, but when you add a third superstar and and Kevin Durant, it can complicate things. And I say that not necessarily with skepticism with Kevin. I mean, he proved when he was with the Warriors that he can play at an elite level, still be one of the best players in the league, while still making sure that Steph and Clay and Draymond blossom. I think that was one of the underrated qualities that KD had with the Warriors. But I do have still some skepticism. Now that Kevin's in that picture, you know, how will Kyrie and Harden figure that out? And they're going to have to figure that out in real time. They don't really have a lot of regular season games to figure that out. So they are vulnerable, but I still would pick them because their talent and depth is just a lot and it's hard to overcome, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're invincible. They showed on Saturday against the Lakers that even an undermanned team can can beat them if you don't uh, bring the performance and respect your opponent as you should. Right. So we, we know who the leader is of, of the Lakers. Obviously, it's LeBron. Who do you think is the leader out of the three stars? You know, Harden, um, Durant, and Kyrie. Who Who's the leader? Because, I mean, I think everybody, you know, has to be a heartbeat of the team to, you know, that, that everybody can respect and, you know, and they, they can be able to rally their team. Do you think the Nets have anybody over there that could do that? You know, I can't really answer that question. And I think that kind of leads to why there is a healthy question to be asked of, does it matter that they only played seven games? Because I don't think that off the top of your head that you can think, hey, out of those three, there is a specific leader. Now, I will say that out of those three players, I say with full confidence, Kevin Durant's the best player among those three guys. But Kevin's leadership style isn't about being the guy and being, you know, outspoken. He's more of a clock in, clock out sort of guy. And that can, you know, be very positive because he's an incredibly efficient player and he's very consistent. But, you know, even if he's not necessarily a negative presence, um, he doesn't have that leadership style of, you know, just being outspoken and just bringing guys together. He's more of a 
a buy an example kind of guy. And I think that Kyrie and Harden, they've shown some leadership qualities with that, but they've also shown some qualities that you don't want with that. And that's, I think that's what remains to be seen. So as much as Steve Nash and the Nets have praised how Harden's been as a leader this year and buying into his role and sacrificing, um, we haven't seen how that plays out yet with three stars because there just hasn't been Enough. A lot of games. Seven, to be exact. And, and, and Kyrie, I, I just read, is going to miss the game, I think, tomorrow for personal reasons. <laughs> so. Yeah, and look, and look, I mean, you don't know what the personal reasons are. you got to respect it, especially during these times. But I know earlier in the season, when he was out for personal reasons, he doesn't owe the general public or the media an explanation of what those personal reasons are. But I thought it was a little disconcerting that didn't seem like the team knew about it. Uh, you know, maybe he doesn't need to go chapter and verse, but it also seemed like they didn't even know that he was going to be unavailable. And I thought that was uh, a troubling sign. But, you know, uh, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, that could have festered into more drama. And I think for the most part, it's been pretty even keel. The results have shown that they've been able to get through it okay. They've been able to pack up some wins. All right, Mark, stick with us really quick. We're going to play one more commercial, and then we're going to go ahead and we're going to open up to Clubhouse for a little bit of Q&A and let some Laker fans ask some questions. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is the Profanity Nation podcast. One second, guys. I, out there on Clubhouse, when we come back, go ahead and blink your mic so that way I know you guys want to have a question. All right. We'll be right back. Thank you, everyone. A podcast for the fans, by the fans. Dive deep into the topics the other shows miss, raw and uncensored. And he's going to play team ball. His legacy is at stake. Rare, hard-hitting interviews with players, coaches, and you, the super fans. I'm not hating. I'm like, okay, cool. Three championships in five years. He's more than good, bro. Profanity Nation. Listen live or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Powered by Jesse Brown of Keller Williams. Thank you. We are back with the Profanity Nation podcast, Voice of the Professional Fan. We are here with USA Today reporter, NBA reporter, Mark Medina, sharing some great stories with us. Of course, Money Mike is here and Simsta in the house. Stat Pat has personal reasons and couldn't be here, but we'll be back next week. Uh, but this is a fun time. Uh, Mark has agreed to hop online and go uh, open up to a Q&A with Clubhouse. So we're going to go ahead and bring in Clubhouse. Of course, the Profanity Nation is the official podcast of the Los Los Angeles Lakers fan club on clubhouse with over 5,000 members. So uh, they are great. We work with them. We work, interact. They're smart. Like you said, they are super smart fans. So let's go ahead and open up money. Mike, you've got it handled. All right, let's go. Let's start off with Samurai. So you link your mic first. Oh, sorry. You know what? Uh, you come back to me. My, my, my bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. All right. Hey, Rodrigo. Let's you, you, guys, you guys and Mark have, have answered so many of my questions. Y'all doing an amazing job. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Samurai. Uh, all right, Bye, thanks for listening. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Samurai. How about Rodrigo? Hey, there. hey everyone. How's everyone doing so far? We're good. Good to hear from you. Good. My name is... Thank you. Thank you. Um... My name is Rodrigo, and I think I'm uh, kind of breaking up there. Right um, now. What? Yeah. Um, can everyone hear me? Yeah, we hear you now. Go ahead. All right. Great. Um, I wanted to ask Mark there. Um, one thing that he said during the podcast was, you know, being a fan for a certain team kind of goes away once he said, you know, 
you see the sausage getting made. Um, since then, is it still the same or do you continue to kind of follow uh, like a certain team uh, or, or keep up with like a certain player that you really like? Uh, just a curious question. Thank you, Rodrigo. That was great. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I keep up a lot with the Lakers and the Warriors because I used to cover them, you know, on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, I'm poking my head at a lot of the, you know, the superstar-driven teams, uh, the teams that are relevant, that are in the news a lot, uh, especially during this time where I'm not traveling. I, I try to make it part of my routine where, look, I'm not seeing and watching games on League Pass all day because that's, A, very time-consuming, and B, it kind of takes away from the other part of your job of doing interviews and writing. But I try to build in part of my routine of, of watching games just for my own background and education. Um, but the reality is you're kind of accountable for the league itself. So, you know, how I pay attention to teams partly depends on how good that team is. If I'm able to land, uh, an interview for a feature story I'm working on, um, you know, which teams are in the news, that sort of thing. So it, it varies all the time. And then I think the other thing I have to keep in mind is I have a great colleague uh, named Jeff Zilgit. He's based on the East coast. Uh, in normal times, a lot of a lot of what happened was I would be their their West Coast guy, and he would handle a lot of things on the East Coast because of the time zones. Now that's changed a little bit because we're all working remotely. But I think philosophically, it still rings uh, true that I'm I pay more attention to the Western Conference because I'm able to to stay up for a lot of those West Coast games. But it it varies across the board as far as you know which teams I'm watching and paying attention to. That's awesome. awesome. Okay, we're going to do two more questions from Clubhouse. Go ahead, yeah, Mike. How about Crispy? Did you have a question? Yes, Money Mike. What's up? Um, Profanity Nation, shout out to you guys. Um, Money Mike, man. I can't thank you guys enough um, for, you know, reaching out and helping us out. Um, yeah, Mark, my question dates back to your college days because I'm actually from Rochester, so we kind of got oh, some nice. coming. Um, yeah. Um, what was your favorite Syracuse team? Mine, mine personally was Johnny Flynn's team because he, you know, he played 67 minutes in that um, six overtime um, game. Said that six overtime um, win, and it was it was huge. You know, it, it rocked the the upstate New York area. So, what was your favorite um, Syracuse team? Yeah, well, I'm, uh, much respect. You've been able to brace the uh, Central New York cold like I used to have to do. Um, you know, that game that you're referencing, I, you know, I certainly saw it on TV, but that was after I graduated. Interesting side story to that is this is how long that game lasted. I was helping out at the LA Times with the Pac-12 uh, tournament, and those games ended before <laughs> the Syracuse over uh, multi-overtime game in the Garden ended. So it was cool seeing that. But as far as my favorite kind of memory, you know, from when I was on campus – it was probably their their 2006 Big East uh, tournament run because they were on the bubble. Uh, there was a thought that they might not make the tournament, that they wound up winning the entire thing. Now, you know, they crashed and burned and lost, I believe, to Texas A&M in the first round of the playoffs. But it was really cool to see Jerry McNamara and that team, you know, really go on that, that pretty uh, crazy run that week of the Big East uh, tournament. And then um, – I would say on top of that, I mean, obviously it was really fun watching the basketball team, but I think it was also fun covering the lacrosse team there because, as you know, 
being in Rochester, lacrosse is such a hotbed in central New York and Syracuse is considered one of the powerhouses. And I covered that team both on its surprising decline when they missed the playoffs for the first time in, I believe, 25 years. And then I also covered them the following year when they wound up getting back and winning the championship. So it, it was cool to, you know, just from my standpoint, where you're rooting for really interesting stories. Well, there's an interesting story of a, of a powerhouse experiencing something that they're not used to of losing and then, you know, redeeming themselves. So th those would be the two memories, the, the basketball uh, team's Big East run in 2006 and then the lacrosse team missing the tournament in 2007 and then redeeming themselves uh, to win the title in 2008. That is awesome. awesome. All right, one more. All right, one Super more. Cool. I, I think I saw Hot um, wanting to ask a question. How are you there? Maybe not. Anybody else want to ask a question? Yes, Alan. All right. Okay, Alan, go ahead. Hey, Mark. Thanks for thanks for this again. Um, I was just uh, wondering, like, um, I know you covered the the Warriors uh, as a beat a beat with uh, the Bear and you from 2017 to 20, 2019, um, right after I guess the Warriors like um, lost in the 2016 finals. Um, I was just wondering, like, how how was how was covering like the Warriors um, and like how was that experience? Um, uh, contrasted with you know the Lakers run from 2010 to 2012, um, like I was just curious, like how 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 was that? Like both like kind of like like um, championship runs. Like I was just curious how how that was. Great question. Yeah, great question. Well, to clarify, so I covered the Warriors the following year after they won their first championship with Kevin Durant. So I covered their repeat championship, and then when they lost in the finals to Toronto. Um, but I, I saw a lot of parallels because when I first started covering the Lakers, it was during their championship heyday. So, you know, I joined in the middle of when they're trying to defend their title and going through all those first world NBA problems of, you know, how do you stay engaged during the regular season and handle every team's best shot. And that's that was the theme that the Warriors entered that year of my first year on the beat. And then I think the other parallels is that you know, the Lakers were always a high profile team, always competitive, not just among the, the local beat writers, but there's always a national presence. A lot of outlets uh, would come in and out, you know, joining the team on road trips or going to home games. So you're used to just, I think, that never ending, um, both gratifying and humbling experience of being on your P's and Q's, where some days, you know, you had you had a really great feature story. You had a, a great one-on-one -on -one with someone, but then the next day, like someone else did that. So it always, I think, taught you what a lot of, you know, NBA players stress that the league humbles you and you can never get too high or low because for better and for worse, the next game is another day to either sustain that success or to lose and have a, you know, have a setback or to rebound from a disappointing performance. Um, but I, I'm glad I did it. I mean, I, I remember when I was weighing the option, Hey, I'm covering the Lakers. It's great to live in LA. I was able to cover Kobe's Kobe Bryant's final seven and a half seasons and also see how they were going to go about rebuilding with Luke Walton, having this young core and having this new front office with Magic Johnson, Rob Palenka. That's such a great thing to have. But I think the thing that, uh, the thing that kept me, that, 
I think tilted the scale with wanting to cover the Warriors beyond, you know, just some of the financials going into play is that I thought that there was value in branching out and covering another team to make yourself marketable um, to be in a position to be able to cover the league at some point. And I think, you know, that has translated to the job that I had, that I had relationships and institutional knowledge about, you know, two pretty high profile NBA teams. Um, so it's, it's something where I definitely missed covering the Lakers, but it was the right decision to make not only for my career, but it was also just cool covering a dynasty and, and being a part of that. Yeah, that is awesome. That's a great story. And I, I agree with you. It's not always about just the, the fun. It's about the career and it's about you. It's about your choices. Um, okay. So, so every, uh, show here at the end of the show, we do a little segment. And uh, this segment is called Out of Bounds with Money Mike. Money Mike's going to pose a question, and he would like to know if he's out of bounds with his opinion. <laughs> so so <laughs> we're going to hear from Mark and see. Uh, I have no idea what this is. He surprises us uh, each week. So uh, you have the well, floor. I, I don't have a whistle, but watch it. I'll watch it. No, yeah. Hey, you can tell me if I'm out of bounds or inbounds, okay? okay. So, so uh, a couple days ago, Zach Levine had an amazing game to most people. Right. You know, he scored 39 points in the first half, 25 points straight in the second quarter. I mean, it was just completely amazing. And he came out second half, scored 11 points, and they lost the game. Am I out of bounds for not caring about his accomplishment? You know, because he came out cold as far as I'm concerned, and, and he was unstoppable in the first half, and he did nothing in the second half. If you're that hot, you shouldn't be able to be stopped at that at at that at no part of the game. <laughs> so, am I out of bounds for not caring that that he had a great first half and a horrible second, and they lost? Can I just say this is a jump ball? Does that work, or does that break the rules? <laughs> and here's why I say that. Clearly, I mean Zach Levine isn't among the first tier of superstars in the league, but I think that he has proven that he's more than just a human highlight reel. He's more than a dunker or a great shooter. I mean, he deserved getting the all-star nod this year. So I think even for those kind of players, you are going to have your tough nights. Um, it's just a matter of how does the body of work play out through a course of a month's worth of games, two months, the whole season. And I think Zach's proven, you know, especially this year, that that he is the real deal and not just – kind of a one-man show, so to speak. But at the same time, he's not a superstar. Yeah, but that game, he was hot. Like, he was unstoppable. Yeah. How do you become, stop, uh, you know, stoppable in the second half? Yeah, That's I'm with you. Coaching. I mean, you, su superstars, that doesn't happen to them. So yeah. I'm with you on that point. But I, I also wanted to kind of differentiate that he definitely still is an all-star caliber player. Oh, yeah, okay. no question. No All question. right, so he agrees with me. He, <laughs> he didn't say that. He said jump ball. Jump ball, yeah. He said jump ball. Okay, I'm going to go. I know we're we'll running out of time. Let's ask one person ask in one Clubhouse. person in Clubhouse. Hey, Shay, what do you think? Is Shay there? I, I think that um, you're out of bounds. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this time around, I'm not going to agree with you because, you know, every player is, well, maybe Kobe or, you know, LeBron, sometimes they're unstoppable, but this time around, you know, they adjusted in the second half and they played defense against him. So I think that's what had happened. I I agree. All right. I agree. I'm okay. with Shay. I'm right. with Shay on cool. that one. Cool. I'll roll with it. All right. 
Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been great. We definitely have to get you back. We could have kept going. Uh, we normally try to stick to an hour. We're already at an hour and 11 minutes. We Again, we could have just kept talking forever. Uh, we had so much fun. Will you please let all of our listeners and even Clubhouse know the best way that they can keep up with your work? You know, first off, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun talking hoops with you guys. Um, best way to follow my work, Mark Medina with USA Today. So, you can go to usa.com. Uh, we have good subscription deals. Hey, if you want to still read the newspaper, you can get that too. Um, and then my social media handles, Twitter, it's Mark G underscore Medina. So that's M-A-R-K-G underscore M-E-D-I-N-A. And my Instagram is Medina Syracuse, M-E-D-I-N-A, S-Y-R-A-C-U-S-C. Not so subtle nod to the, uh, the <laughs> alma mater and giving them some love. Respect. Awesome. I got to toss the roses again, Mark. Thank you so much. We'll keep up on your work. Everyone I know loves it. So thank you again. We really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks so much guys. Be well. And it's a blast. All right. Thanks thanks. A lot. Have a good one. Mark's great. As Man, always. It, yeah, it, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody in clubhouse was outstanding. Your questions were great. Yeah. Uh, to the point, you guys are always great. Uh, again, the Lakers have the smartest fans in the league. As far yeah, as I'm it, we do. No question about it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is a wrap up. Right. You had a good show. You enjoyed it. It was a great show. It was great. great. Show. It was great. We enjoyed being the official uh, podcast of Lakers fan club, Los Angeles Lakers fan club on clubhouse. So right. if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, uh, if you have a Apple iPhone device, you definitely need to download the clubhouse app and you definitely need to join the Los Angeles Lakers fan club room uh, over 5,000 strong. At least last we checked it. Could yeah. just, I don't know. It's, it's growing quick. And, and it's so amazing because, you know, they do, a uh, whole lot of different uh, interactive things throughout the game, um, and we we sponsor all the most of giveaways. The, mo yeah, most of the giveaways. Yeah, all of them, it's most just of the great. giveaways. Yeah, so you guys, every time there's a game, you know, go on the clubhouse and and then chat. be able to get some giveaways with us. You can text two two eight two eight. Get yep. up on a, get on our. Um, Newsletter. Yep. Get on our email list again. Uh, absolutely right. Money Mike. You want to text Lakers to two, two, eight, two, eight text Lakers to two, two, eight, two, eight. That way you'll keep up to date on the profanity nation, our future shows, guests, giveaways, uh, live events, which we're going to be having again soon. You know, we all tried to do that before and it didn't work out, but uh, we're all close. Things are reopening. Yeah. So we're happy. Um, and uh, we'll keep coming at you with uh, the hard opinions from the fans. Yeah. We'll let you have a voice. We are the Profanity Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us. The voice, the professional fan here every Sunday night. Have a good night. Hang out, Clubhouse. We'll talk to you after the show is over. We'll do it. If you want to join for a little uh, after party, you want to get on Clubhouse into the Los Angeles Lakers fan club room. Have a good one. Hey, guys. You got to check out the Pure Life Alternative Wellness Center. It's a family-owned and operated pre-ICO, Prop D compliant, and recreational collective serving Chatsworth, the San Fernando Valley, and the surrounding Los Angeles areas. They offer discounts for all our veterans and seniors 55 plus, as well as first-time patient and referral discounts. You can order online at purelifesfv.org. That's purelifesfv.org.
A podcast for the fans, by the fans. Dive deep into the topics the other shows miss, raw and uncensored. And he's going to play team ball. His legacy is at stake. Rare, hard-hitting interviews with players, coaches, and you, the super fans. I'm not hating. I'm like, okay, cool. Three championships in five years. He's more than good, bro. Profanity Nation. Listen live or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Powered by Jesse Brown of Keller Williams.